0: Welcome to We Are What We Buy with Dr. Michael Solomon. We'll take a deep dive to look at the patterns, habits, brands, and benefits that drive your customers to buy. The tips and concepts you'll hear on the program will have you standing head and shoulders above your competition. Now here's your host, Dr. Michael Solomon.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Michael Solomon, and this is We Are What We Buy our topic this week is something that everybody can relate to because we all either try it or we're the subject of it and that is influence and persuasion so obviously persuasion is a big part of marketing we're always trying to get people to see our side of things to choose our brand over others or, or perhaps to choose our personal brand over others and so we've got three experts on the show that that have a lot to contribute about that and Uh, My first guest is a friend who happens to be an ex-magician, so how often do we have a magician on the show? Um, I'm really, really happy to introduce Tim David. Tim is the author of Magic Words, the science and secrets behind seven words that motivate, engage, and influence, and his newest book is FLIP, F-L-I-P the four levels of influencing people where he explores research and real life for the secrets of how to become more influential. Uh, Tim is all over the place. He's appeared in hundreds of media outlets, including the Harvard Business Review, HuffPost, Psychology Today, Inc. Magazine, New York Times, and even the Today Show. And guess what? Now he joins us here at we are what we buy. So, Tim, welcome to the show. My pleasure, Michael. Great to be here. Yeah, it's a it's a real privilege to have you, Tim. And um, let, let's just jump in. You know, I know I know the listeners are going to be intrigued to to hear about the connection between magic and persuasion. And uh, let me just start by asking you, you know, how do you define persuasion? And you know how how does magic relate to that?
2: Yeah, I I think the most simple definition is moving people to action. You know, I, I think uh, if you want to move mountains in this world, you got to be able to move people. So influence and persuasion, you mentioned certainly in sales and marketing, but, you know, we're also looking at uh, areas like leadership. Uh, I deal a lot with leaders and managers who are just frustrated trying to get their people uh, to to take some sort of action, uh, to be more productive, to be more motivated even. Um, so, or, you know, or adopt a new policy or procedure or, or whatever it may be. So it's certainly something that affects Uh, people in every area of, uh, or in many areas of life. And for me, as a magician, it was uh, twofold. Number one, you know, yes, I want to sort of, I guess, influence the audience to have a good time. And it was an interesting laboratory, you know, going around the country and the world, standing on stages in front of strangers, trying to make that happen. And uh, a lot of different repetitions of, 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 of the same scripts taught me a lot and you know adjustments to that script made big differences in the reactions and responses that I got
1: yeah so and you know I'm I'm certainly uh, no no magician and I can never figure out how they do that stuff but I I do know that it has something to do with distraction right so is that i mean is that part of persuasion getting people to focus on things that they didn't know they were supposed to focus on while you move while you get them closer to that mountain or you know how does the art uh, or science of magic relate directly to getting people to think differently about something?
2: Well, the biggest challenge when when dealing with magic is number one: people think you're there to fool them, you're there to trick them, and there is an instant adversarial relationship uh, perception. You know they're coming in, and I very often, you know, you see a guy in the in the back. He's got his arms folded, and he looks like a six-year-old in timeout. He's like, "All right, magic boy, what do you got for me? You know, let's see, let's see uh, your little funny ha ha show. Let's see what you got. You can't fool me, you know." So, so there's that that you have to contend with and deal with, and uh, you know, so salespeople may face similar um, instant adversarial relationships and reactions if if you if you do it wrong. So the biggest challenge is to move away from the idea that influence or persuasion is about trickery, you know? And, and coming from a magician, what I learned early on is that the actual mechanisms of the trick, yes, Michael, you're absolutely right, it involves misdirection and distraction and all kinds of um, subterfuge and, and deception and making the mechanics of an illusion uh, happen is, is, is part of that. And it, and it really does take advantage of a lot of the quirks of the human brain. And that's, that's a whole other topic. That's what got interest. That's what got me interested in psychology and perception and all of that. Um, but again, it really, really does not uh, matter. The tricks that I do, if <clears throat> the type of persuasion and influence that I'm trying to do, which is to get an audience to enjoy and experience, experience, to laugh, to experience that emotion of wonder, uh, to set aside their disbelief for a moment. All of that has nothing to do with the tricks that I'm doing. So these are completely separate Pursuits, right? The one is yes, I want the trick to be amazing, and, and in order for that magic to take place, there has to be deception. Look, the g- girl is not really floating, okay? That's re- she's really not defying the laws of physics. I'm sorry to bust anyone's bubble, uh, but there is a trick behind it, and in order to make that look real, there has to be that deception component. But what I'm really interested in, and what what magicians who are good, what elevates magic from just a party trick to an art is when the performer focuses on the other type of persuasion. And that's the part where, you know, we're trying to build that connection with an audience, with ourselves and with each other, and and create that m- emotion of wonder. And there's no deception there. There is no uh, underhanded subterfuge, misdirection or distraction. That type of influence is at its most sort of honest you know and yes we are directing people towards uh, or nudging people towards certain certain components of that you know but it's there again it's not in a trickery uh, or distraction sense
1: yeah so I, and i you know i think um, one of the hallmarks of any professional is they they do something really complicated but they make it look really easy and i guess you know an accomplished magician makes it look so easy but you know that there's a process behind it and and there's certainly a process in persuasion. And so, you know, let's, let's talk about your, your, your new book for a minute, uh, your, your book that you're, you called FLIP, which is an acronym, F-L-I-P. So that's referring to levels of influence. And, I, and that, that's a process. Now, at the end of the day, someone doesn't realize that, perhaps. But can you talk a little bit about those four levels of influence and how that all works together to make it look like a seamless uh, kind of performance?
2: Yeah. So a big part, you know, when you get into, you know, I mentioned earlier, psychology and neuroscience and you start to unpack how people make decisions and you start to really look into influence as a, you know, scientific pursuit. And and there have been some amazing technological advances in the science of influence and persuasion, um, you know, but at the end of the day, there are questions for me that are fascinating. And those questions are not, you know, how does how what what does somebody do in order to to influence and persuade? That's sort of level one. You know, that's sort of this, uh, you know, entry-level stuff for beginners. The really fascinating stuff for me is what are the things that make a person influential? So it's this idea that influence isn't something that you do, influence is something that you have. And uh, quite frankly, it's painfully obvious if you don't have it <laughs> to everyone around you and they know, you know, who those people are who have influence, just like you and I can, can uh, sort of walk into a room and almost immediately identify, you know, who is the person uh, who is the most influential in this room? Uh, you know, you can almost see who is the least influential as well. So, uh, yeah, I do believe that there are levels. I do believe that there are sort of tiers Towards uh, creating more and more influence uh, in your life
1: Yeah so you, you know you use the word power, powerful. I mean is, is that what influence boils down to? Is, is that powerful people are influential people and vice versa? You know is, is it about being kind of the top dog and all? or, or...
2: Yeah you, you know, I think that's part of it, and that's sort of where we get into level two. you know so if level one or tier one is this idea that what you say and how you say it matters uh, to, to your level of influence. I think we all know words are powerful. My first book, Magic Words, was all about this idea of, of certain words that poke people in the brain in a certain way that, that create motivation and engagement and influence. So, um, so that's, if that's tier one, then tier two definitely involves more of the um, social aspect of influence. So influence doesn't happen sort of inside you. Um influence can happen a part of what what uh, makes influence uh, part of what makes you influence uh, excuse me influential is what is going on in the mind of the other person. So how they perceive you. You know, are you the alpha in the room? Do you have uh, a title? that is higher than theirs. You know, that's part of it. Do, are, you, are you their mother or their father? And, and that has a, a, a piece. So for example, if you, know, if you are a, a, an eight-year-old kid and you're trying to sell more Girl Scout cookies, then yes, what you say and how you say it matters. But if you just go to your family and say, hey, I'm a Girl Scout and I want to sell these cookies to raise funds for our Girl Scout troop, They're going to buy the cookies from you because of who you are in relation to them. Yeah, they could go to Walmart and get those cookies cheaper, right? So you may not have the best price, the best offer, the best wording of how you say it. And similarly, you know, if Oprah goes on television and and completely blows her script, you know, messes up all of the psychological influence components, she's still going to motivate a lot of people to action, be it to read a book, or, to sign up for a cause or something that she is uh, you know attempting to influence an audience to do, so yes, it absolutely matters uh, who you are in relation uh, to them.
1: All right, so Tim, you know I, I know that the uh, the code of a magician is that you you never reveal your tricks um, but as a uh, as a keynote speaker and an influence expert i'm wondering if if you can reveal a trick for us maybe maybe is, is there some concrete quick example you could give of an influence tactic that you advocate in your in your writing or your speaking
2: yeah happy to i think i think one of the things that Uh, surprised me the most Uh, you know as as a magician I do love surprises and I do love that sense of mystery and wonder and the human brain is full of them so I think uh, it's natural I think for a lot of magicians to to be interested in the human brain not just for our art but uh, because of who we are and uh, one of the things that surprised me the most and I think this is something that everybody can take and use particularly when writing emails uh, to one another is something that psychologists call the name-letter effect And uh, it's it's crazy that this is really a thing. But if if your name is Chris, you're more likely to prefer Coke than Pepsi, statistically speaking. And this it's a small difference, but it's definitely uh, significant. All right. So um, studies have been done in you know dozens of different countries, thousands of, of participants, and always it is the same thing: the letters in your name. Can inf- especially the first letter, can influence some of your major life decisions. For example, if your name is Georgia, you're 88% more likely to live in the state of Georgia than what relative statistics would indicate. So some of these major life decisions, not just which soft drink we buy, uh, can be influenced simply by this idea that that, That sounds kind of like me. It kind of reminds me of myself a little bit. And I know that I like me. So I think this is going to be for me, whatever this product or idea is. So if you're emailing people, always, 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 yes, it's common courtesy to use someone's name. Hi, Michael. I think that's a common courtesy uh, that that a lot of people forget. Sometimes they just bust in. I mean, can you imagine walking into a room and just being like, hey, I got this great idea for you. I want to run by. Uh, Hey, John, you know, acknowledge that person. Secondly, you, you might tell Frank that your idea is fantastic, while you tell Tom that it's terrific. You're going to give Dan a deal, but Barbara a bargain. And what this does is it, it sort of psychologically commandeers the attention of the brain and uh, gives you a better chance that that email will get read and responded to. So something as simple as, you know, the, the name letter effect blows my mind, but also can be applied in many, many practical ways.
1: Yeah, I love that example, and it's really kind of the tip of the iceberg uh, in behavioral economics. There's lots of exactly. little, little, you know, uh, relationships like that that we're not aware of that, that make a huge difference. And, and you know, and, that, right?
2: and speaking of Coca-Cola, and speaking of practical applications, they when they put names on the bottles, remember they did that? They put right. names on the uh, Share a Coke campaign. That was the first time their profits went up in over 11 years. So, you know, this idea that, that, uh, a simple little trick, uh, and, and it was something like 2% increase in profits, which for Coke is, I don't know, 47 bajillion dollars, <laughs> you know, but, uh, th- this idea that a little tiny change, uh, can make a big difference in someone's behavior is really what, what drives a lot of my work.
1: Yeah, that's, that's great. And, you know, as we reach the end here, I want to make sure our listeners can, uh, can partake of some of your, your wisdom. And so, uh, Tim has, has, uh, graciously agreed to, to share some of his tips with you if you're interested. He's, he's compiled what he calls an influence cheat sheet, and um, he's uh, basically giving you 61 influence techniques that have been gathered from a wide range of psychological literature. So if you're interested in getting that, please uh, just go to the URL that you'll see on, on my website, and uh, go through that process and you will get that cheat sheet. And once again, Tim will have pulled a rabbit out of his hat. So uh, Tim, thanks so much for, uh, for appearing on the show. And uh, you know, I just, I just love your insights. Thank you. My pleasure, Michael. Thanks for having me. You're listening to We Are What We Buy. I'm Dr. Michael Solomon, and we're back with another influence expert after the break.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Book international speaker and renowned author Dr. Michael Solomon for your event today. Michael's presentations reveal cutting-edge trends in advertising and marketing, branding, consumer behavior, and social media. He captivates audiences with the insights he unveils during his interactive keynotes and seminars. Michael has spoken to Fortune 500 companies, top advertising agencies, associations, and branches of government on five continents, and has received rave reviews. Book Michael today at michaelsolomon.com. Marketers, Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer by Dr. Michael Solomon is a revolutionary book that explores the psychology of the consumer in today's changing times. The book is packed with information and tools you need to create winning marketing strategies for a complex marketplace. Michael encourages readers to move out of the box, to think like contemporary consumers and do things differently. This is a reader's favorite. Order today at Amazon.com. you are tuned into We Are What We Buy. To reach Dr. Michael Solomon or his guest on today's program, please send an email to michael at michaelsolomon.com. Now back to We Are What We Buy.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to We Are What We Buy. I'm Dr. Michael Solomon. And this week, we're we're talking about a topic that's, of course, front and center when it comes to marketing, and that's influence and persuasion. So we know that it's not enough to have a great idea. It's not enough to have an idea that provides value to people. You've got to convince them of that. So, it's all about uh, structuring what you have to say so that people sit up and listen and and take you seriously. And so, my my next guest is is an expert at that. Um, he his name is Jamie Turner, and he's talking to us from Atlanta. And uh, Jamie is an internationally recognized author and speaker, and he's the CEO of 60secondmarketer.com. He's also an assistant professor and lecturer at Emory University and the University of Texas. Uh, You've seen Jamie on CNN and on HLN, as well as in Forbes, Inc., The Wall Street Journal, and
4: CNBC. Jamie, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael, great to be here. Always great to catch up with you, and I'm uh, honored and flattered that you've asked me to pitch in here, so uh, I'm, I'm ready. Great. Well, then we both are. Uh, I appreciate it. Let's, uh, let's start off with, uh, with a little commercial for you. Just, just tell the listeners a little bit more about what you do in your day job. Yeah. Uh, about half my revenue comes from speaking around the globe. Uh, I also do teach down at Emory University and, uh, and the University of Texas, and I'm doing some interesting research, Michael, about uh, persuasion that we can and uh, precision marketing that we can talk about a little bit. And then uh, finally, I consult with different companies. I've done work with Coca-Cola, AT&T, Holiday Inn, Verizon, a bunch of different organizations out there, and I love to solve complex Marketing problem, so that's that's my day job. So let's
1: uh, yeah, let's let's dive into uh, to talk about persuasion, and, and and I know you're you're traveling around the world right now, uh, giving a keynote that you call the unwritten rules of persuasion. So, uh, you know, why don't you give us a you're a sixty second marketer? Why don't you you know give us a sixty second overview of what you mean
4: by that? Here's the here's the bottom line about the unwritten rules of persuasion. So Harvard had done a uh, a uh, a study that basically said communication and persuasion are the most important attributes people have in terms of uh, their ability to be promoted. So it's obviously a very important thing to be able to persuade and communicate. And if you think about persuasion and the times in your life where persuasion might have been important, you can kind of understand why Harvard had that review, I had that uh, point, uh, research that came out about it. The bottom line is we've all had times in our career where we didn't get the client that we were hoping to get for our business. And we look back and we go, man, we were competing against that other firm. We're every bit as good as that firm. What was the difference? The difference was the other firm knew persuasion techniques that you may not have known that are designed to help people that they're talking to understand why it's in their best interest to follow the path that that firm was laying out for him. So that might happen. Or it might happen that you are sitting around uh, looking for a promotion and you didn't get the promotion. Why did that happen? The other person got the promotion because they understood communication and persuasion skills better than you did and were able to convince the person doing the promoting that they were better a better option than you. So persuasion, communication, all those things are very, very important for our careers and also even for our family lives. So there's a lot of emphasis that's put on it, and a lot of times it's undervalued because people are like, oh, I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to try to persuade anybody of anything. We're not trying to make people do anything that they wouldn't do that's in their best interest. So persuasion is about a win-win arrangement. It's really about helping the other person understand why your point of view is good for them and good for you and why you can move forward on a, pers- on a, on a, on a uh, good path for that. Yeah, I think you make a great point. You know, for a lot of people, persuasion is a four letter word, you know,
1: just like marketing is. They think, well, people are trying to get me to do something I don't want to do, but
4: hopefully that's not the case. And if you think about persuasion and communication, there's really four different things that you would be thinking about in terms of how to move forward. If the uh, people listening in, in your audience right now are thinking, how do I use persuasion? Here's four categories that you can think about in terms of buckets that we'll talk about as we do this interview. The first is, what's your mindset? So that's basically what you tell yourself. The second is, how are you mentoring? That's persuasion techniques that you use to mentor or coach somebody. The third is management, which is how do you lead larger teams? And the fourth is marketing, which is, how do I go out and persuade large groups of people to buy my product or service. So mindset, mentoring, management, and marketing are the four buckets. Let's start with the first one, which is mindset. A lot of times people don't realize that in order to be successful in your career and in business, you need to work on your mindset first and your skill set second and a lot of times people think well let me work on my skill set first but the truth is is when you work on your mindset first what you're doing is you're teaching your brain how to interact with the world around you you're creating frameworks that you can use in order to move forward properly and ultimately once you've got that down then you start continuing to work on your skill set so in that second bucket which is the mentoring bucket your goal is how do i work with a team or an individual and get them to understand that I'm taking them down a journey and a path that's beneficial to them. And there are a couple of techniques you can use on that. One is to use something called a tag question. A tag question is, is a question you ask in order to get somebody you're mentoring or somebody you're talking to, to start agreeing with you and to start understanding that this is something that uh, you have a good relationship. So in other words, what you want to do, people start when they have little yeses to something, they open themselves up and they're a little bit more open to change. So if you're coaching somebody, your first goal is to get them to feel comfortable with you. And the way you do that is by getting them to do little yeses. And the way you do a little yes is to say something to them that, generally everybody would agree with, like, isn't the weather great today? Or uh, the Olympics have been fun to watch, right? Or, hey, aren't you glad it's Friday? All you're trying to do is get them to start nodding their head in agreement. That gets them to lower their, uh, their sort of wall down so that you can ha- then have a more fruitful one-on-one discussion with them uh, in terms of that one-to-one conversation. Now the third bucket, and I'm just going to keep going because I'm on a roll, but Michael, you dive in if you've got questions as we move forward. But the third bucket is management. What do I tell myself in order to manage larger teams so that I can make sure that those larger teams follow my lead on things. So before we were talking about mentoring one-on-one, now we're talking about management one-to-many. Well, if you are managing a team, it's always good to understand that um, there are four kinds of persuaders out there. There's people who provide a vision, and I'd ask your listeners to figure out which one of these four they are. People who provide a vision, people who provide data, people who provide warmth, and people who provide details. Now vision, data, warmth, and details, those are all important things. But the best leaders are those that create a vision and do it with warmth. Now data and details are important because nobody's gonna, it's like being a captain of a ship. Hey guys, we're gonna go you know, sail and see if we can find America. And they say, well, that's great. You got a vision and you got warmth. We're following you. Where's the map? And you go, I don't have a map. We're just going out. Well, they won't follow you. So data and details are important, but those are the foundation upon which you build vision and warmth. So as you're thinking through what kind of persuader you are, figure out what you are, leverage your strengths, but also work on your weaknesses. If you're not good with warmth, if you're not good with vision, work on those because those are what people follow provided there's data and details behind it but that's that's doing one to one to leading teams and Michael I know you've led teams before and and uh and have had those kind of experiences I'm just curious what your techniques were because you're an expert at consumer behavior and your consumer at certain points in your career has been teams what what did uh, did you leverage any of those things for your own leadership teams? Well, sure. I, you
1: know, I think I guess you've invented the four M's of of uh, persuasion. We talk about the four P's of marketing, right? And you've yeah. Got the four M's there, and uh, you know, I I think for a lot of people, the philosophy is surround yourself with good people and let them let them do their worst. You know. Yeah, um, that's certainly that's certainly been my style. But but you're right. At some level, they they have to buy into the narrative. And you know, we talk a lot in this program about storytelling, brand storytelling, and. If I understand you correctly, I think you're saying that you you as an individual or, or as an organization, you, you need to have your own story straight. And if it's compelling enough, people will buy into it.
4: Yeah, that's a great way to summarize it. It's work on yourself first so that you can then then work with other people, which leads us to that last M, which is marketing. And of course, consumer behavior is, uh, is what the show is all about. So let me dive in on a couple of things. You'd be familiar with some of these case studies, but they're fascinating case studies. One, I'm sure you've talked about the paradox of choice, but let's revisit that for a second. Um, Basically, the paradox of choice is uh, brands thought years ago, hey, the more choices we have, the more we're going to be able to give people the opportunity to buy one of our products. So let's put uh, a dozen different flavors of this product on the shelf and we'll get people to buy it. What they found was that actually that decreases the number of people making a decision. What happens is, and this is why it's called the paradox of choice, you've got a ton of Flavors up there for jams, let's say. You go in and your brain kind of gets into overdrive and you decide, well, you know what, maybe I just want to get peanut butter today anyway. So it's called the paradox of choice. There's some interesting data uh, behind it. When they tested whether or not people would purchase jam when they had a lot of choices, only 3% of those who approached the display with a lot of choices of jam actually purchased the jam, but 30%, 10 times more. Bought the jam when they approached the display that only had three different choices on it. So you went from 3% to 30% because they basically went in and said, We're going to make this simpler for you. And P&G with head and shoulders, actually took their SKUs from 26 to 15. And when they did that, its sales increased 10%. Now, was that 100% due to the paradox of choice? Probably not. There were probably other issues going on there. But we do know. Research has proven that when you do things and you study uh, how consumers engage with brands, when you have too many things out there, it creates confusion and ultimately they don't don't do it. Now, here's another uh, research study that was kind of fascinating. They uh, had a, uh, a nonprofit went out and they wanted to reframe and again, Michael, I'm positive you're familiar with this one. It's a, it's a great study that proves a great point. But they wanted to reframe getting people to donate. So they went in and what they had done before was, please donate. Uh, you can, you know, check off what you want to donate here, 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 75 bucks, it didn't matter. Well, when they did that, for every 100 people they approached with that version, $44 was collected. So they went out, hundred people, and they would collect $44. Then they added a simple line into it, and it basically said, even $1 will help to the line, that the copy that they were talking about. So then they went for every 100 people they approached with the second version, $72 was collected. So there's the difference between just reframing how you do something. If you ask for $25, $50, $75, people go, well, you know, I don't even have, I don't even have $10. I'm not going to donate any money. If you go in and say 25, 50, $75, but even a dollar will help us just write it in on the other section. They ended up collecting $72 versus $44 for the first one that they did. So those are the kinds of things when you kind of look at everything we've talked about right right now, Uh, everything from mindset to mentoring to management, And then also to marketing where you're going one to many. And if you think about the persuasion techniques you're using and the communication techniques you're using, you can reframe things, whether it's the way we reframe how to donate, or you can use the paradox of choice in order to make sure that what you're doing is uh, uh, the consumer will engage with it. All those things add up to stuff that actually makes you a better marketer a better consumer behavior specialist, and also a better leader and a better mentor as you move forward in your career.
1: Yeah, so we, we know that the devil's in the details and, you know, paying careful attention to these things can make a huge difference. So uh, speaking of details, as we end up here, uh, you, you have graciously agreed to provide a gift to the listeners. So you want to quickly tell them what that is and how they can get it?
4: Yeah, easy thing here. If you go to uh, 60secondmarketer.com uh, and you visit my website, when you're exiting, a pop-up will come up. You can sign up for my e-newsletter there and you'll receive uh, three different e-books. Or if you'd like, email me directly at jamie at live. so that's J-A-M-I-E, at jamieturner.live. And I'll send you a free digital copy of my latest book, which is Digital Marketing Growth Hacks. I wrote it with 13 other experts in the industry. We all got together and talk about basically what you can do in order to grow your sales and revenues using digital marketing. Now, these are the best experts in the world, and each chapter is set up to say, here's how to use video marketing. Here's how to use paid search. Here's how to use Facebook advertising. So it's a great book. Just email me at jamie, J-A-M-I-E, jamie at jamieturner.live, and I'll send you a free digital copy of the book. But thanks, Michael, for letting me offer that to your listeners. Yeah, thanks, Jamie, and uh, appreciate your
1: insights as always. Well, there you have it, another great perspective on influence and persuasion from my friend Jamie Turner. This is Dr. Michael Solomon. You're listening to We Are What We Buy. Please follow me on Twitter at, at @mikesolo. that's M-I-K-E-S-O-L-O, or drop me an email at michael at michaelsolomon.com and let me know what you're thinking. We're back after a quick break with another expert on influence and persuasion. <laughs>
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Book international speaker and renowned author Dr. Michael Solomon for your event today. Michael's presentations reveal cutting-edge trends in advertising and marketing, branding, consumer behavior, and social media. He captivates audiences with the insights he unveils during his interactive keynotes and seminars. Michael has spoken to Fortune 500 companies, top advertising agencies, associations, and branches of government on five continents, and has received rave reviews. Book Michael today at michaelsolomon.com. Marketers, Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer by Dr. Michael Solomon is a revolutionary book that explores the psychology of the consumer in today's changing times. The book is packed with information and tools you need to create winning marketing strategies for a complex marketplace. Michael encourages readers to move out of the box, to think like contemporary consumers and do things differently. This is a reader's favorite. Order today at Amazon.com. You are tuned into We Are What We Buy. To reach Dr. Michael Solomon or his guest on today's program, please send an email to michael at michaelsolomon.com. Now back to We Are What We Buy.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to We Are What We Buy. I'm Dr. Michael Solomon, and this week we're talking about the fascinating concept of influence, uh, which obviously is the heart of all kinds of marketing and our my last guest but certainly not my least guest is a great authority to end the show with uh he's an old friend of mine and it's a real pleasure for me to introduce him his name is Brian Kurtz and let me tell you a little bit about Brian he he's had a he's got a fascinating background um he's really had two careers in fact and the first one was uh lasted actually for 34 years where Brian was a force behind Boardroom Incorporated, which is a very well known publisher and direct marketer. And then his second career, which has lasted for the last five years, is as the founder of Titans Marketing. And this is a direct marketing, educational, and coaching company. And Titans Marketing is known for several mastermind groups, an array of classic books, and files that Brian has published and created. And he's the author of two books himself. And his most recent book, and he'll tell us a little bit about this later, is called Over Deliver, Build a Business for a Lifetime, Playing the Long Game in Direct Response Marketing. Now, when Brian was at Boardroom and he was a business to consumer marketer, believe it or not, he was responsible for selling over a billion dollars worth of products. And as he likes to say, he sold these $39 at a time to millions of people. And now since he's become a business-to-business marketer with Titans Marketing, Brian has sold over $5 million worth of products and services to thousands that help them to spread the gospel about direct marketing to millions. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks. When you say I'm an old friend, I think you're a little older than me, as I recall. But uh, um,
5: but you are, um, you know, this was really not, it was really great when you asked me to be on, because I followed your career for a long time. And even though it's like a Venn diagram, we're in different worlds, but we overlap in the, in this area of influence and, you know, uh, uh, direct, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be all direct, but you know, I'm, I'm direct marketing and, your advertising and marketing and consumer behavior, but there is a sweet spot that they intersect, and I think we can get to some of that today.
1: Absolutely, and just to clarify, I didn't say a very old friend. I just said an old friend. Yeah,
5: I I noticed, but yeah, yeah, I just want to make sure people know that you're older than me.
1: Yeah, thank you. Not by a lot. Thank you for reminding me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's dive in. You know, we're talking about influence, which, of course, is at the heart of any kind of marketing, whether it's direct or advertising and so on, and you know, you, people sometimes push back about that. They push back about the idea of being influenced, but, but you often say marketing isn't everything. It's the only thing. Um, does that make you or me a mercenary that's yeah. looking for a sale?
5: Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because I say that and I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm like, the, I'm i I'm the kindest, gentlest marketer in the world because I think that what I teach is that you want to be Anything you do to influence people to give you money is not, not a bad thing. It's basically you're helping them and you know the old story that you know the salesman is always trying to help you and all of that. But it's 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 bigger than that because you're you know if you're a personal brand or you're working for a brand, everything you do in marketing and selling needs to be congruent with who you are, what your brand is selling, what your brand is doing. And I believe that marketing is everything because You know, if you've got a vision or a mission that you want to share with the world, I always say, why not share it with, you know, millions instead of dozens? And the only way to do that is with some kind of marketing and getting it out there. And of course, you know, everybody, you know, look, there are shysters out there. There are people that are looking to just make a buck. But, you know, the majority of people that I know in marketing and and by the way, direct marketing, I'll just define it for those people who don't understand it. Direct marketing is marketing with a measurable response. That's it's really accountable to the media that you're placing. So if you place an ad or you mail a list or you do an email campaign, you get responses, you make, you get orders and it's got to pay for itself at some point. And that's direct marketing and not every form of advertising or marketing is direct, but I think more and more these days, everything has a direct component. Even, you know, uh, Ads on TV during the Super Bowl now have websites and 800 numbers to key the orders to get responses that you will, you know, then be able to get the buyer and then do something with that buyer. Um, but going back to being mercenaries, I'm not a mercenary. I know you aren't, and I think when you are influencing somebody, there are a lot of ways to do it, but you always do it within, you know. I hate to say this because it sounds so cliche, but you do it within your heart. You do it with, you know, with, with a, a, a real uh, desire to have the prospect or the consumer really want your product because you've given them the reasons why it's good for them. And it's a good, it, it's a good value, and that's the price and all, all of that
1: yeah so it's it's always good to hear that marketing's not a four letter word and uh, yeah exactly you know it's all about the exchange of value you know but but having said that of course uh it's it is about r o i no matter how you measure that and and that gets me to something else that that you've said you You said everything is not a revenue event, but everything is a relationship event so what does that mean so with email marketing, for instance. One of the trends that
5: have been going on for the last you know ten years, or you know it's it's been phenomenal to watch this is that you know it's no longer i mean some people will send an offer and, and I call it you know fishing without bait, and they fish with bait they, they they're they're on a lake, they throw the pole in the water, there's a worm at the end at the end of the at the end of the the hook, and there's the, the fish in the water are your prospects, and you've got an offer and they bite at it, you bring them in the boat, and then, you know, you've sold them, and then you try to sell them more. That's an acceptable way to, to, to do it. But with, with email being so much less expensive, I grew up in direct mail. Direct mail is really expensive. It's hard to not sell something every time you go out with direct mail. But with, with, so with email, for example, which is still, I think, the killer app in, in marketing today, you can basically, instead of putting your pole in the water, and and fish with bait you can fish without bait and what I mean by that is if you if you t- take the same analogy and you say I'm gonna f- shine a spotlight over the lake and I'm, I'm gonna be looking for prospects that way but there's no hook and so you're you're giving them content you're giving them your best stuff you're maybe hinting that you might have something to offer at some point you hint that you know you're available when they're ready and what happens is it's a longer cycle. But if you have the right list or the right prospects, the theory is that they're going to eventually just jump in the boat because they'll be ready. You know, it's like the, when, the, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. You've appeared for them on a variety of, in a variety of ways, but they trust you. You've know, you got to know, like, and trust the person that's selling to you. And that, that is just a phenomenal way to sell online. There's something called product launch formula which is something that was invented by my friend, Jeff Walker. And he sold, I mean, he's responsible, not personally, but for all his students selling a billion dollars worth of product online. And how does he do it? Well, he, you know, you get somebody who has a niche, like a sewing niche, and they create a sewing course of some sort. They, they, get the, they, they, they go after a list that they can get of, of sew, people who are interested in sewing. They have a, they offer, they offer like their best content of like 10 of the best sewing superstars in the world. They offer that content and then eventually they create a membership group or they create something for them if those people want it. And if they don't want it, they still get the sewing instruction uh, for free. And it, it's basically moving the free line that, you know, is, is so important in marketing today. And now, going back to direct mail, I saw the beginning of this late in like in the '90s when we were doing direct mail, and they were, we were always told in direct mail that it 's all about the sizzle and you don 't give away the steak so it was a, it was a mailing piece that would you know give all the fascinations, all the bullet points, and to get the answer to all these bullet points, you had to buy the book that was sort of standard and What developed uh, with the copywriters and I, I work with some amazing, amazing copywriters. And what emerged were different formats, and two of them I'll, I'll mention. One is called the Magalog, one is called the Bookalog. A Magalog is like a – it looks like a magazine. It's like 24 to 32 pages. A Bookalog is like a digest-sized book that's like 64 pages. And it's really a promotion for a product. But in that, you have so much, you're telling a story, and you're, you're, you're actually giving away some of your best stuff. It was no longer just all sizzle. You gave away some of the steak. But to get the rest, you'd have to buy the product, the book or the newsletter in my case.
1: Let me, let me ask you, you know, you, you, I know that one of your talents is, uh, is copywriting and you said you've worked with great copywriters. You know, we're talking about influence today. So getting into the weeds a little bit about the content, is, is there a, a quick concrete example you could share of, say, a good way and a bad way to say the same thing? in one way convinces people that they're getting the value and the other obscures that.
5: Yeah. I mean, I I just, one just popped into my head. So, you know, if you, if you are selling a, a a health book and you're just, um, you know, putting out, I've got this treasury of health, health secrets, and it's just, you know, pounding the secrets at you. That's one way to sell it, but there are all different ways. And the copywriters know this. So one way, would be to get a guru, get a doctor, get a guy in a white coat, and not not to do it, um, you know, the wrong way, but do it the right way, where you actually have the, the doctor read the book. They love the book, or if it's a supplement, have the doctor endorse the supplement. He likes the supplement, and then it comes from the white coat, and there, there's a you know credibility and all of that. You know, copywriting is not a commodity. Copywriting is a skill set. That you have to be adept at. You have to come up with all sorts of angles, but there's all sorts of good, I mean all sorts of things. Like if you're if you're selling a supplement, you might want to you know, start with a hero product, a product that, that's unique, a product that is not a commodity, and you really have a special ingredient that's only in your product. That could be your lead hero product in terms of influencing someone. You'll have a, a way better chance of getting them to buy it. And then, on the back end, you can sell more commodity things like you know a fish oil or you know magnesium or vitamin D. Um, but to lead with the commodity, I don't think a great copywriter is going to want to work for that because he wants to find the story behind the the product that he's selling, whether it's a physical product, whether it's a book, a newsletter, a digital product. Um, so those are some quick things that I thought of that came into my head.
1: All right, great and. And you're all about over delivering. So tell the listeners about that and how they can get a get your book. Yeah, well, my book is
5: is a it's a good book. But the best thing about my book is that um it's not that expensive. And if you buy it at overdeliverbook.com, you basically get, I guess for like a $15 book, $17 book, you get thousands of dollars worth of direct marketing, copywriting. And all sorts of resources, including um, uh, the uh, the the online newsletter from Gary Bensavenga, uh, who was one of the best copywriters ever. Uh, a swipe file from Dan Kennedy, who's a marketing icon. Um, you get Jay Abraham, who wrote the forward for the book, uh, gave away in this on this resource site twenty one keynote speeches he gave, plus. Um, a a course that cost them $200,000 to produce. Um, So it's just, and it's got, I've got other, you know, seminars. I've got interviews with greats of direct marketing. I've got two PDFs of classic books by people your audience probably has never heard of Dick Benson and Gordon Grossman, but they're two of the most influential people in direct mail. And I have PDFs of their books. So there's 11 bonuses at overdeliverbook.com. It's an incredible site and um you know and and my book's not bad you know that's i think uh i think if you if you related to some of the stuff i talked about today um you'll find my chapters on why paying postage made me a better marketer and the, the importance of original source and you know list selection and rfm and all the, and customer service and fulfillment or marketing functions i think you'll find it interesting and usable uh in your business so overdeliverbook.com is where to go
1: this is really outstanding stuff we we've learned a lot about influence today and i think maybe the most important thing is that influence and marketing in general is not a four-letter word it's it's all about not only creating value but finding ways to make it clear to others that you're delivering value and at the end of the day i think that's what good marketing is all about so I, i hope you'll check out the offerings that My guests today uh, have uh, shared with you. Please check out Tim David, Jamie Turner, and Brian Kurtz. They're all great guys and authorities on this stuff. And again, you're listening to Dr. Michael Solomon. We are what we buy. Please drop me a line at michael at michaelsolomon.com and follow me on Twitter at at mikesolo. I also hope you'll take a minute to visit my website, www.michaelsolomon.com, where you'll find a lot of resources related to consumer behavior. So that's all for today. Remember, we are what we buy, and we buy what we are.
0: Thank you for listening to We Are What We Buy. Please join your host, Dr. Michael Solomon, again next Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a winning week.